0: So they're over here to my left. And um, Jack will be the one with the loudest amens, hopefully. Or hopefully not, maybe. (laughs) But uh, they traveled with us and we're so happy to have them. And Sister Elizabeth uh, expresses her greetings and love to you all. And also... Um, just, it was nice to see Brother Ernie. I was just thinking about him here recently. We hadn't seen him in a long time. I don't know if you're still getting a little gold out of Babylon, but uh, <laughs> he doesn't come our way anymore. Um, but it's so good to see him, and I see the different ministries that are here supporting um, the work of the Lord here. And I'm in that capacity at home, so I know uh, the burdens that they share and, and the, the desires they have for the Lord. And so I just want to commend the different ones and Brother John. Um, and Brother Kyle and Brother Murphy, the different ones that labor in the ministry. Brother Michael as well. And, uh, and then my special uh, friend, uh, Brother Tim Dodd here as well. He came in the back room. It's just Brother Tom and I. He opened the door and he says, What is this, a short man's convention? And uh, I, I said, That's no way to walk into a room. So the video room was calling down, and I answered it, and I said, Short Man's Convention, and uh, I don't know if they got it, but... But we, we love Brother Tim dearly, he's a dear friend of ours, and so it's nice to be able to have so many friends in one place so that when you, you visit, I don't want to use the analogy kill birds, but essentially that's what you're doing, you can, you can kill many birds with just one stone when you come here. but um, I'll just try to get right back into the Word, Just wanted to I don't often uh, share personal things, and I get so focused on the, the text and what I'm preaching that sometimes I'll just get up there and I'll never smile and I'll never say hello, and uh, I'm reminded of it later, so I hope I did good this time Amen. to greet everyone. If we could turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 11, I'd like to read um, from verses 1 to 6. And as you're turning there, just uh, one one last uh, uh, show, uh, just expression of gratitude to uh, Brother Biscoe and his wife, Sister Ruth, um, for the love they've shown our family, the ministering that he's done in our church over the last several years has just been Tremendously beneficial. The things that he said, the, the word that he's ministered has been very timely for us. It's really strengthened us and we are so happy to see him and uh, I see him doing well and we're anxious to hear him, uh, hear him minister the word of God again as we're expecting him to be down south here soon. Matthew chapter 11 verses 1 to 6. And it came to pass when Jesus had made an end of commanding his 12 disciples, he departed thence to teach and to preach in their cities. Now when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples. This is a very interesting question that he has them pose. And said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again those things which ye do hear and see. The blind received their sight, And the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he, whosoever shall not be offended in me. If we could just bow our heads. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we're so happy to be in your house this morning. And we believe, Lord, although it has become... Uh, just common or maybe tradition or habit to gather at this time every Sunday, we do believe that you have a supernatural purpose in it every time. And Lord, as long as we have breath, we know that we have need of you. That's right. And we have need of a, a further unfolding of your word. And even, Lord, tonight, today if it comes in by way of review or just uh, rehearsing things that we've already heard before, Lord, we believe that if it be your will that we hear it. That it's to our benefit and for your glory. So we ask that you bless the words which we have read, the things which you have placed upon my heart. May I deliver it faithfully to your people, and may they be blessed today. And may you be glorified. We ask these things in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. And just bear with me this morning. If I'm a little nervous, I was telling Brother Michael we're fellowshiping yesterday. Um, no matter how long you preach, you still get nervous. And I think it's probably important that it be that way. That this just never becomes something that's just old hat. And you just get up there and you can just wing it. You can just preach it. No, it's just it's, uh, too sobering of a responsibility to do that. So you just bear with me today if it uh, seems a little crude. I want to read from Mark chapter 8 verse 38 uh, to begin. <clears throat> and my title this morning is Unashamed. And we used that thought with the young people last night um, at the dinner, unashamed, and we were speaking a little bit about the uh, condition of the age that we're living in, the atmosphere that surrounds us. It's an atmosphere of fear and doubt and intimidation, and there's a lot of boldness on the world's part to try to uh, overwhelm the believer uh, through bullying and peer pressure. And things are done in such a way to where if I could just say this, that uh, just one slip up we can see where a man could uh, tweet something or say something on the job or just one little slip up, even something that he thought had been uh, gone from his past that he had dealt with, he would said he was sorry for, um, that someone digs up and they sensationalize it and, and athletes get kicked out of leagues and um, CEOs of companies have the company rest away from them and uh, it just seems like just one little slip up, wrong, one wrong thing said, um, all of the society and the social media and the whole can be an uproar and demanding that things change and this person lose this and this person lose that and uh, so we realize that the what things we stand for and what we believe it 's always been in the minority, but now it 's being cast as something that is uh, that is uh, so um, aggravating and so unreasonable and insensitive and in many many ways um, it 's being legislated uh, to be something that could be criminal. If If we really spoke our minds and and expressed the things that are in our hearts. And in Mark chapter 8, verse 38, it says, Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed. That's to have a feeling of disgrace or dishonor, to feel insulted by something or to be embarrassed of something. He said, Whosoever there shall be be, uh, ashamed of me, and he says, and my words. And this adulterous and sinful generation, which we know those two terms speak appropriately for the age that we're living in. This adulterous and sinful generation says, Of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So as he expresses that whosoever is going to be ashamed of him and his words, when the Son of Man comes, uh, he will also uh, be ashamed of them. And to uh, just mention the contrast to that in my title, unashamed would be to act without or to not have the feeling of guilt, to not be insulted, to not be embarrassed. So he's referring to those who would be embarrassed by the Son of Man, ashamed because of the Son of Man, insulted or a feeling of guilt when thinking about the Son of Man. He says, so whosoever we could say will not be ashamed of him, the Son of Man will not be ashamed of him. And he says, ashamed of me, when he refers to himself personally, he's talking about uh, his present state uh, on earth, his ministry, uh, even his poverty and his appearance. Because uh, when you would look at Jesus Christ... In, at that moment, we says, whosoever shall not be ashamed of me. He's referring to uh, what he looked like at the time, the story that had followed him, his birth, um, his raising, everything. He says, whosoever will not be ashamed of me and what I represent. And we can look in the scripture and we can gather from scripture that there was clearly... A reproach to Jesus Christ when he says, Don't be to whoever is ashamed of me, he's referring to all the things that could perhaps be said against him, all the things that could be brought up about his past and the rumors, and, and even the way that he dressed and the way that he looked and the people that he hung out with. He realized that there was cause for one to feel ashamed for him about him. So he says, Where uh, if he's ashamed of me, and then he says, Ashamed of my words. Because it wasn't just the person, but it was what he was saying and what he was doing. He's referring to his doctrines, his teachings, uh, the things that he was setting forth, the actions that he was doing in uh, obedience to the Father. And he's speaking about even the things which he is prophesying. He refers to even the future manifestation of the Son of Man. And we know that Jesus referred to himself as the Son of Man more than anything. It is in using the term Messiah, well... Who would be ashamed of the Messiah if you were a Jew? You wouldn't be ashamed of the Messiah because the Messiah was one that they believed in. Even today, no one, a Christian, wouldn't say they're ashamed of Jesus Christ. But Jesus was speaking about being ashamed of the Son of Man. And by in doing so, he was really zeroing in on a particular principle that when God was fulfilling His Word in the expression of the Son of Man, it was so out of way of what they were expecting that there was a reproach to it. In Matthew chapter 16, where we have the answer of Peter, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus asked the question, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So he refers to himself as the Son of Man many different times. And uh, we know Peter answered, uh, well, they said, some say you're this and some say you're that. And Peter must have just been waiting for him to ask, well, who do you say? And he says, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the Living God. And so we could refer to the Son of God. Who would be ashamed of the Son of God? Well, uh, if he truly is the Son of God, I wouldn't be ashamed of the Son of God. If he is the Messiah, who would be ashamed of the Messiah if you're a Jew? But the Son of Man. The Son of Man stumbled them. But the Son of Man is the spiritual revelation of Christ. The Son of Man in that day was the anointed word. The Son of Man is the anointed word. And the prophecies in the Old Testament essentially hid the mystery that the Messiah would come as the Son of Man. This was a special designation of God being expressed. You could take from the message of the hour and find that the Son of Man is the union of deity and humanity. And this Old Testament hid the mystery that the Messiah would come as the Son of Man. They thought, Son of God, well, there's going to be some splendor. There's going to be some majesty. There's going to be some royalty in the way that He expresses Himself. But the Son of God came as the Son of Man. And it, it manifested to the people a union between deity and humanity. We know also that the Old Testament hid the mystery that the Messiah would come, not as a warrior, but actually as a sacrificial lamb. So the very prophecies of the Messiah hid um, his expression as the Son of Man and it hid his purpose as a lamb. So as he stood there fulfilling scripture and he's being seen as the Son of Man, there's a reproach. And we know that even when he began to express what his purpose was to die, even amongst his disciples, they say, Lord, you can't speak that way because there was a reproach in his purpose and his expression. The revelation of the Son of Man was very difficult for them to accept. It was even treated as heresy. We know the Scriptures tell us that Jesus Christ was an offense. he was a stumbling block. In His ministry, He violated the Judaic law and that offended those who held so closely to it. He violated the oral traditions and their histories. He even began to not only violate in his actions, but as he spoke, he began to expose even their hypocrisy and their errors. And as he did this, he was uh, aggravating and, and, and people were getting upset. And this was something that was going against the grain. And he opposed their traditions, exposed their heresies, and called out their errors and their hypocrisies. And he began to be hated and reviled to the point to where they sought to kill him. In Luke chapter 7 verse 34 Jesus shares with us some of the rumors That had been tweeted out about him He said the son of man has come eating and drinking And you say behold a gluttonous man And a wine bibber and a friend of publicans and sinners So Jesus has shared with us what their perception was of him they perceived him as a gluttonous man, as a wine-bibber, as a friend of publicans and sinners. You realize that we get ourselves, when we hear the gospel and we hear the word preached to us, we're hearing, uh, we're hearing a polished, if I could just use that term, this is a polished up representation and a, a focused look at what he was. He was the Messiah. He was the Son of God. He died for your sins. And we're hearing the gospel in the way of the good news. But these are things that are associated with the good news in that day. Amen. Oh, that Messiah you're talking about, the wine bibber, you mean? Oh, the gluttonous man. Oh, yeah, I know who you're talking about. He's the one that sits around with the publicans and sinners. He's the one. Uh, um, oh, you say he's the Messiah? Well, there was another story to tell. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 24. This is what they say: This fellow doth not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of devils. There's a story, a narrative that we can pull from the Scripture to see that as the living Word of God was being made manifest, it was was reviled against, and it was a reproach, and it was offensive. And the manifestation of the Word, of the living Word of God, when it comes and is manifested, it's always contrary to carnal expectation. And it's always difficult to initially accept. It's always difficult for the traditions and the organizations and those who are even looking for it to really see it and embrace it when it comes. In Matthew chapter 26, verses 63 to 65, as he's standing before the high priest, Jesus held his peace and the high priest answered and said unto him, I jure thee by the living God that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus saith unto him, and to this point there's been a lot of things that have been elicited, a lot of things that have been said and evidence offered against him. And he says, Thou hast said, Nevertheless, I say unto you, Hereafter shall ye see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. It's at this moment that we get this response. Then the high priest rent his clothes, saying he hath spoken blasphemy. What further need have we of witnesses? Behold, now you have heard this blasphemy. It's the revelation of the Son of Man. It was Him setting Himself forth as the Messiah, being displayed as the Son of Man. This is the ultimate revelation that causes the high priest to rent His clothes and declare blasphemy and be moved to such anger and expression of rage. It was this reference to the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power. It is when Jesus in John chapter 6 began to say, unless you eat the flesh and drink the blood of the Son of Man... That's what began to aggravate and separate and cause many to walk away. And in today, even today as it was then, it is the revelation of the Son of Man that is rejected. It is the revelation of the Son of Man that is controversial. It's the one that inspires madness and will inspire murder. There may be a lot of reasons given, but ultimately you must understand that it is the revelation and the expression of the Son of Man that is hated. In Luke chapter 6, verses 22 to 23. I'll just say it now. I forgot to look at the clock, so I won't look at it again. Luke chapter 6, so you just tell me when I'm done. Luke chapter 6, verses 22 to 23. Blessed are ye when men shall hate you, when they shall separate you from their company, and shall reproach you and cast out your name as evil. For whose sake? The Son of Man's sake. Not even the Lord Jesus Christ's sake, not for the Son's sake or the Son of God's sake or for the Lord's sake, but rather for the Son of Man's sake. For this way that He fulfills Scripture, for this way that He expresses Himself, for this way that God desires Himself to be known, that when the Son of Man comes and makes Himself known, you blessed are you when they hate you and separate you and reproach you and cast your name as evil because you're identified with the Son of Man. It's even a phrase that to the Jews at the time, they would not have readily used it to speak of the Messiah. They would not have used it to speak of the one that was to come. But it was something that he was happy to identify himself with. And so in that expression and in that fulfillment, there was a reproach, there was a hatred, there was a casting out as evil. And it is the same today. He says, Rejoice ye in that day, and leap for joy. It's the believer's exercise program. He says, For behold, your reward. If you could just hold that in your mind and remember that. Your reward is great in heaven. For in the like manner did their fathers unto the prophets. They've always rejected the prophets when he comes. It was, what, the prophets were never just um, uh, uh, broadly embraced and everyone accepts it and everyone agrees. There was always controversy. Even in John, they agreed that well, some agreed that he was a prophet, but they could never quite place it. They're always looking for the words to fall to the ground and find reason to not believe them. They're always examining and testing and trying to find some way to say, well, this man isn't a prophet because it just was contrary. The human mind is opposed to God. It's an enemy to God. So when God would speak by the mouth of a prophet, it. Immediately the human mind began to calculate and think, Well, how can we reject this? How can we disprove this? How can we figure out a reason why we don't have to listen to this guy? They've always rejected the prophets. And so he says, If they hate you, separate you, reproach you, And cast your name of e- out as evil for the Son of Man's sake, Think about the reward that will come to you. Because they've always done this to go- the ones that God sends. And I, I realize that as believers... That we, it's, it's not habit, perhaps it's something that some of you have never even done, but we haven't fully tried to understand the controversy of Jesus Christ. But there is a controversy of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is controversial. When you see Him in His context, when you see Him in His Word, when you see Him for what God made Him to be, He is controversial. And the reality today is that people want a Christ without offense. They, they want a gospel without offense And I know that it's hard To imagine the shame And the reproach for the cause of Christ When you could just think That there's over a hundred million Christians That would also claim Christ It's hard to think that there would be a reproach for Christ, because in our minds we think the reproach for Christ, well, a reproach for the man who came uh, on earth and died for our sins and shed his blood for our sins, and in him we have atonement, rose again on the third day, and there he is, seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. Well, if we just phrase it that way, well, there's not any Christian that's offended by that. But you have to realize that's the Instagram post of Jesus. And that's what people want today. They want an Instagram Jesus. They want, they want a picture with the filter on it. They want it to just capture a moment. Well, this is the Son of God who died for your sins. And, and they want you to believe in that because it's easy to believe in that. And you just could embellish this thought quite further in terms of what what I mean by an Instagram. Jesus, you find many times people take a picture on Instagram and when you see it and you look at it, I say many times, that's a gross exaggeration, under exaggeration. It's many, 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 many times people take pictures and post them on Instagram. And when they do this, what you get is just a moment that's been carefully created. Uh, someone will take a picture of uh, something that they baked, a nice meal or a pie, and you look at it and you're like, oh, that just looks beautiful. Look at the crust and look at the lighting and look at that nice little gingham towel they had laid under there. And oh my goodness, where did you get that pie plate? Anthropology and in your mind, the candle. Did you see the candle nearby? And everything that's running through your mind, you're like, that's just absolutely gorgeous. It's amazing. I want that pie. You have no idea how that pie tastes. <laughs> you don't know the reality of that pie and what you don't see is the mess that it took to get that pie you don't see the labor the work and what it takes and and but yet it's just a snapshot and listen, that's what the world represents in social media. The world's just showing you a glossed up image of worldly things. And you don't see the heartache and the sorrow and the bitterness and the pain that comes with it. When you see those things, don't lust for it. Don't long for it. The vacations, they post a picture on the beach. and Oh, that's amazing. You didn't see the wide angle lens shot. You didn't see all the hours in Photoshop they spent getting rid of all the other people in the background of the photo and this is what they, the very same thing they've done with the gospel they tried to create a Jesus without offense Amen. to have a social gospel something that's cleaned up something where they've gone in and they've used a brush to fix this and to move all the offense and take all the ugliness out and disregard that part and disregard that part and let's just speak about a man who came and died for our sins and atoned for our sins and if you'll just accept him and receive him then you'll have eternal life and they've completely filtered out what Jesus Christ really means because the true word is always offensive and the son of man which is Christ always carries great offense always carries great controversy Paul when he wrote in Romans chapter 1 verse 16 he says for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also To the Greek. Again, we read this and it becomes uh, lines to our songs and perhaps refrains. It becomes bumper stickers or nice little uh, things that we post. But there's such a reality to this shame. That Paul would say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. We look back over over a thousand years and nearly two thousand years and we think, well, uh, the, the shame and the reproach, And we try to figure out what that means. But Paul is dealing with it in reality. He realized there was tremendous shame to be associated with the gospel. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 23, But we preach Christ crucified. Now notice that in doing so, he's not just preaching a Christ resurrected or a Messiah or the Son of God. He's saying we preach Christ crucified. That would have had to been the most damning and most uh, the greatest criticism that could have been alleged against Jesus' ministry. Well, you heard how he died, right? He died a common criminal. Yeah, you know, that that Messiah you told me about, that one that you said we should go here, the one that was performing miracles, when it really came down to it, he couldn't even save himself. Right. Died upon the cross and nailed to a cross. They didn't even nail the other ones to the cross. They just bound him to the cross. But this guy, he, had the, he was rejected. They traded him for Barabbas. What does that tell you? Yeah. He was actually sent to the Jews. And the Jews to whom he was sent, you say he was sent to the Jews, he was traded for a Barabbas. Right. And so Paul doesn't avoid the controversy. He says, I actually preach the crucified Christ. I actually preach this one that was rejected by the Jews. I'm not trying to shy around that. I'm not try- I'm trying to gloss that up. I'm not trying to skip that part. So, well, let's just disregard that part. Let's talk about how he said, love thy neighbor as thyself. No, he says, I preach Christ crucified. He says, unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness. And if you go back and look in verse 17, he's preaching, he says, the cross of Christ. And when he refers to the cross, I think he refers to it again in verse 18. When he says cross, to us the emblem isn't what it meant then by cross it means the ugliness of it the reproach I preach the cross of Christ I preach the ugly part the part that is, uh, and it seems insulting the part that causes you to shriek and to shy and to look away I preach the cross of Christ not just the glory and the power and the miracles and the beauty and the meekness and the humility I even preach the cross of Christ we preach Christ crucified it's a stumbling block to the Jews and it's an offense and foolishness to the Greeks but that's what I'm preaching the Gospel of Christ was contrary to everything Paul had ever believed. That's true. Everything Paul had studied, had labored for, had fought for, had represented himself of, when he came to see the Gospel of Christ, it destroyed everything that Paul was. That good. Yet he was unashamed. Yeah. God. Jesus Christ was the manifestation, the culmination and the climax of the Jewish faith. Yeah. They existed and they lived believing that one day God would send them their deliverer, send them their Messiah. When the moment Jesus Christ came, John makes the introduction. That was essentially the finishing of the Jewish faith. That was it. It was everything they existed for, was for that moment. The expression of everything they believed. And just as Jesus Christ was the very fulfillment of the Jewish faith, this message holds the fulfillment of the Christians faith it holds the fulfillment of the church's hope of the return of the Messiah and if I could just take some time to look at the ministry of Paul to better understand what I'm trying to emphasize today on being unashamed we probably don't think much about the controversy of even Paul as we spoke of the controversy of Christ I could have spent more time on the controversy of Christ but I wanted to look at the controversy of Paul because perhaps this will help us understand and relate better. There's controversies when it comes to Paul's ministry. There's even contradictions when it comes to Paul's ministry. But we don't think about them because he's been canonized in our Bible. He's in our Bible, so we don't look at his ministry critically and we don't even look to compare and try to look at Paul's life in the way that perhaps an unbiased viewer would or one who knew him at the time would think, who are you talking about, Paul or Saul here? I just want to know who we're talking about. Well, Paul is Saul. They're the same person. They're the same person. And that would carry with it something. Right. And there'd be a way of looking at his ministry in light of, here is Paul now advocating for Jesus Christ. And so Paul would have a particular reputation. Jesus Christ had a reputation. And there would be an impression that people would get by this one Paul, even speaking about this one Jesus Christ. And listen, it's not the warm, fuzzy feelings we get today when we think about Paul preaching about Christ. And if I could somehow help you, and I realize this is kind of uh, almost dangerous territory in a way to do this, but I want to begin to look critically at Paul's ministry because we don't think of the, go- uh, the gospel of Paul as being controversial because it's in our Bible but Paul's gospel of Christ was controversial
1: yeah,
0: right. even within the Christian church yeah, right. we can even find that in the New Testament what Paul's preaching is tough to deal with yeah. Peter writes in 2nd Peter chapter 3 verses 15 to 16 he says an account that the long-suffering our Lord is salvation he says even as our beloved brother Paul Also, according to the wisdom given unto him. So now Peter is acknowledging that there's been God given, God has given Paul insight. According to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you. So we can think of the many letters that Paul has written. And he says, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood. Peter walked with Jesus Christ, knew Jesus Christ, had prophecies spoken over him by Jesus Christ, saw him in his uh, trial, in his scourging, in his passion, that he saw him hanging on the cross, uh, he re- fled in fear and visited the tomb that was empty, Jesus came and visited Peter, there's so many things that Peter could stay, st- stand there, if someone knew Jesus Christ, if someone knew his ministry, Peter you could gather from the gospels, was a disciple of John and had seen and heard and been taught and began to follow, he had understood the ministry of Jesus Christ from the one who was called to introduce him, having been introduced to him, having walked with him, saw him through his entire ministry. If anybody could preach Jesus Christ, Peter could, but yet here's Paul speaking things that's hard for Peter to understand. And he's acknowledging it. And he's saying that this is wisdom that's been given to him, godly wisdom that's difficult to understand. He says they which that which they which are unlearned and unstable rest yeah. People who are unlearned and unstable wrestle with these things that are hard to understand. They pick at it. They criticize it. They cast it as heresy. They try to change it to fit their own uses and their own purposes. And he says they're changing the letters of Paul. They're twisting the things that he says because it's hard to be understood. And notice what Peter does. He says, as they do also the other Scriptures under their own destruction. Amen. Do you notice what Peter has just done? He just took the letter the letters that Paul wrote and said men are twisting his letters as they do the other Scriptures. He took the letters of Paul and made them Scripture. You see, the scroll those men have rolled up that they're reading from and those sacred writs and sacred writings of the prophets before, he just took the, what that prophet in that day was writing and said, they're wrestling with Paul's letters as they do the other scriptures and refers to what Paul was writing as scripture, as God breathed, God given wisdom. And he says, they'll do it to their own destruction. And so Paul, I use this at the beginning, perhaps I'll come to it at the end. You say beginning, you've been preaching a while over there. But just at the beginning here of Paul, examining Paul. In Second Timothy chapter 1 verse 8, he says this. Now I want this to hopefully just strike you perhaps with some newness. He says, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. But be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel. There's afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. Now why did he plead to Timothy to be unashamed? Why did he tell him to be a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel? Specifically, and I want to go through these two points. He says, be not ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner. When he speaks of the testimony of our Lord, he is referring to the gospel of Christ that he preached. The gospel of Christ is brought to the church by Paul. Now let's look at what Paul referred to as the gospel. We think in our minds the gospel. It's Jesus Christ. And we think of maybe we just have a nice quick way of summarizing it. But Paul when he speaks of the testament of our Lord. He's speaking about the gospel of Christ that brother Paul preached. That the apostle Paul brought to the church. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verses 3 and 5 he says. But if our gospel. I want you to start to notice the way Paul talked. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. Well, Paul, you can't say that. You can't say you're right and everybody else is wrong. That, that's not Christ-like. That's not Christian. Did we forget this is in our Bible? Paul is basically saying that if you don't believe what I preach, it's because you've been blinded by the devil. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto him. For we preach. So notice, it was the gospel of Christ. Not this general consensus that everyone had agreed to that Jesus Christ was the Son of God who was to come into the world and die for our sins and resurrected on the third day. He's not referring to what people might have in the Instagram version of the gospel, but he's saying, our gospel that I preach. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves, your servants for Jesus' sake. Amen. And he's saying, those who do not not receive and believe what I teach are blinded by the devil. If you didn't believe Paul's message in his day, he would have said, well, you're just blind. That's what Paul would say. You're just blind. Well, I just don't see it. Well, it's because you're blind. The devil's blinded your eyes. I don't agree with it. I think it's wrong. I think you're twisted. I think you're perverted. I I don't think that's what Jesus Christ meant. I'm just going to stay in the safety of the red letter. And and, and Paul's saying, well, you're just blind then. (laughs) He writes in First Thessalonians chapter one, verses five to six: For if our gospel, what is this? The royal we, the majestic superlative. That's how Paul's referring to himself. If for our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake, and ye became followers of us. He's not ashamed of that. He, he, he's not saying, he's not, I, perhaps if one was writing this, he says, oh no, scratch that, that might seem, uh, people might take that the wrong way, that they're following a man. He says, no, you became followers of us. He said, be ye followers of me. Amen. Uh, amen. He says, you have many teachers, but only one father. Yes, and he's referring to himself. Amen. He said, you became followers of us and of the Lord. Right. Yes, sir. Implying that you wouldn't be following the Lord if you weren't following me. Right. If anybody's wondering, I'm just reading the King James Bible this morning. If somebody this morning just said, Siri, I want to stream a church service. And this was the first thing that came up and they're just clicking it and they're streaming this live. I'm just reading from the Bible. You became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. It was the word that he preached. He writes again to the Thessalonians in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. And then notice how they came to that. Whereunto He called you by our gospel. Amen. He called you to the sanctification of the Spirit. He called you to the belief of the truth by my gospel. You came to this belief. You came to the sanctification because I preached it to you. And to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. How? By what I'm preaching to you. Whereunto He called you by my gospel, by what I'm preaching, by Paul's teaching. You've come to the sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. And you'll come to the obtaining of glory of our Lord Jesus Christ by what I'm preaching to you. When he wrote to Timothy 2 Timothy 2 verse 8 Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David Was raised from the dead according to my
1: gospel
0: You believe that Jesus Christ was the seed of David And raised from the dead because of my message Because of my gospel In Romans chapter 16, verse 25, he says, Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel. He doesn't say unto him who's able to establish you according to his own name and according to the power of the Father and according to the great glory of the angels, according to the infinite eternal wisdom of God. But he says unto him who's able to establish you according to what I preach to you. My gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. He says according to the revelation of the mystery. Because by the way, you can't know what I'm preaching unless God reveals it to you. Oh, and what I got, I got by revelation of a mystery that no one else knew about. So what I'm actually sharing with you is not something everybody else knows, but it's given to me and I'm sharing it with you. And that's how you can be sanctified. And that's how you believe. And that's how you're being established. According to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began. Paul had a secret message. He had a secret gospel. He was sharing things that nobody else knew. When he says, my gospel, he's speaking of the revelation of the mystery of God, which no one else knew until it was received by him. Does he not say that? That's what he's teaching. He said, this this mystery I'm sharing with you, I got myself personally. And I'm preaching it to you. Galatians chapter 1, verses 10 to 12. For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I shall not be the servant of Christ. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. I didn't learn it in the seminary. I didn't get it from my pastor, my preacher, my teacher, my priest. I'm talking about Paul in his office. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. I'm preaching to you about Jesus Christ but not from a narrative of the disciples. Not from the narrative of other people. Not just from the Old Testament. I'm not just sharing things from the Old Testament. I'm just not preaching to you the Bible. But I'm actually preaching to you Gentile church something that God himself came down and revealed to me and showed these things to me. I had visions. I had revelations. I had visitations. The Lord Jesus Christ came and met me in a pillar of fire and showed me these things. So what I'm telling you I got from the Lord himself and that's how you know these things because I Paul met an angel the Lord who shared these things with you I didn't get it from a man I didn't get it from a seminary I didn't get it from education I didn't even get it from the disciples I got it when the angel of the Lord came down and showed me these things and then he showed it to me in the Old Testament and he showed it to me in the scrolls and I saw it and that's why I can write the things that I write to you in the way that I do his source was from Jesus Christ not even he didn't even say from the scrolls but by revelation of Jesus Christ in Ephesians chapter 3 Verses 1, to I read to verse 9. For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. If you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given me. A special dispensation of grace was given to Paul. That's what Paul is saying. Now, how controversial would it be today? If you went to the nearest Bible school. And you went in there and said, now, I've been given a special dispensation of grace. And like, oh yes, that's right, this is the grace dispensation, yes, you know, we're all under grace. No, I personally, me, and just me by the way, have been given a special dispensation of grace. And uh, I met the Lord out there, and He came and He opened up the word to me, and He gave me a message for, for this day. Absolute insanity. But that's what Paul's saying. And the only reason why they buy it is because by tradition and by fear, they believe this is the word of God. Not by revelation, but through tradition and fear, they're just going to believe this is the word of God. And if it's in there, well, we'll believe it. And then they try to polish it up to where perhaps Paul doesn't sound like such an egomaniac. But he says, I've been given a special dispensation of the grace of God to you, Word. How that by revelation He made known unto me the mystery. As I wrote afore four a few words, whereby when ye read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Amen. The mystery of Christ, not the history of Christ, not what everyone knows about Jesus Christ, but things about Jesus that nobody knew, not even the disciples that walked with them. Amen. The purposes and plans that Jesus Christ had, what he represented, the very mystery of God which Christ represented, the disciples didn't get it. A man that came after that didn't even walk with him in the flesh got it by special dispensation. Amen. And I say, if the Gentile church came in that way, we see that it's going out that way. Just in case some of you get a little antsy for me to quote Brother Branham, I'll get there. My knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto His holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit... Paul was a prophet, he says so himself, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. This was the mystery that was hid in the Old Testament. This was the mystery that was hid in Christ, that the Gentiles would be his body, that they become fellow heirs that was the mystery that is the mystery of God that is finished in this hour is that this was what God's hidden purpose and plan was in the beginning and Paul's breaking this and you've got the Jews over there going oh even the Christian ones No, oh, come on can this be so and what did Peter try to do he tried to make the Gentiles Jews first before they could become Christians and Paul's saying no you've got it all wrong this is what God had in his mind all along that they were not who are not a people would be my people and they that were ashamed I'll not be ashamed to say they're my people and they'll not be ashamed to say that you are our God that was God's mystery and Paul is breaking new ground
1: yeah. 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 the Lord God
0: Gentiles, fellow heirs of the same body Partakers of His promise in Christ By the gospel He says, wherefore I was made a minister According to the gift of the grace of God Given me By the effectual working of His power Unto me And then he gets humble Who am the less than the least of all saints? Is this grace given? that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ. The mystery of a Gentile bride, the mystery of a Gentile church would still be hid had it not been for the ministry of Paul. This is the testimony of our Lord. He says, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. He says, nor of me, his prisoner. The individual Paul himself, just his individuality, his personality, who he was and what he represented. You could easily criticize Paul. I think I've already given ourselves enough to say about Paul in the several scriptures I've read already. He seems a little arrogant. He seems to think he's got it all figured out. He knows things that nobody else knows. He claims that God came and met with him and showed him these things. And we could probably start getting together a pretty good list of how that just the way he goes about things just isn't the way that Jesus went about things. Or what he said, you know, he's he's always quoting himself and other things. He's not not quoting Jesus. and, And we could just find a reason to not like him. He says of himself in Acts chapter 22, verse 4, And I persecuted this way unto death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. Yeah. He's a confessed murderer. He said in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13, Who was before a blasphemer. Uh, didn't Jesus say if you blaspheme? Yeah. A blasphemer, a persecutor, an injurious. And then notice this. I mean, this seems almost neurotic. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, I love Paul. I'm just wanting you to at least try for a moment to understand why the Bible tells us to be unashamed. And how relevant it is today. A confessed blasphemer, persecutor, one that was injurious, a confessed murderer. But then he says, I, I obtained mercy because I did it ignorant, ignorantly. And if you keep reading, he says, I'm the chiefest of all sinners. Yeah. Yet he spoke things that nobody else spoke. Yeah. Yet with this resume and this past, he withstood the disciples and made claims and taught things and presented things that didn't even have the support of the Old Testament, didn't have to feel obligated to pull things out and to cross-reference and to quote and pull these things in. He just said it as from the Lord. In Acts chapter 20, verse 35, he says, I've showed you all things, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak and to remember the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Would anybody show me where Jesus said that? The only place you'll find it in red letter in your Bible is when Pete Paul said it. Yeah. It's not a record of Jesus saying it. You actually find that Paul, in essence, was pretty much always doing this, saying things that weren't found in the red letter. I maybe say this: there's actually a uh, a group, a branch of Christianity, but those that believe because of these things that I'm, i these are things I just found that this. I I didn't research it. I didn't want to be poisoned by perhaps the different things that they might say about it. But there's a group of people that believe that Paul is the Antichrist. But yet they're Christians. They believe in Jesus Christ. And they believe in the Bible. But they believe that the letters of Paul were actually Satan's attempt to slip into the Christian church. And hijack the gospel away from Jesus Christ. And you know why they believe it? Because they're just being honest when they look at what Paul says and what Jesus says. And they're like, listen... Let's just use a little bit of intellectual honesty here. Paul's not dovetailing with what Jesus taught. Paul's not dovetailing with what the gospel that, Paul, that um, Jesus uh, was representing. And in doing so, they look at it with a, a perverted mind, just a carnal mind, without inspiration, because they're blind. Yeah and they reject it and say this is the Pauline uh, doctrine and they, there's Pauline Christians they just reject the gospel of Paul because they think it's so contrary to what, Paul, what Jesus was teaching and here he puts words in Jesus' mouth that we don't know he said because it's not recorded in the gospels he says he has visions and revelations and he has, says have I not met Jesus Christ our Lord claims to have even met him In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, he says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you. Not by narrative, not by historical account, not by record. That the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And if you take the account of the communion and what Paul expresses to the Corinthian church and how they ought to do communion, and you compare it to what the literal account was of Jesus when he gave the communion, Paul is adding to the communion. He adds that you ought to examine yourself. The, the, the aspects of being unworthy. He adds as aspects of tarrying one another. And you go back and you look at what Jesus did. And none of that is found in there. It's a little bit more simple when Jesus got said it. But when Paul gets a hold of it. My goodness. You've got to examine yourself. And This is why many are sick and sleep among you. Because they haven't examined themselves. And when you all come together. Don't come to eat and be a glutton. But eat at home. And then come and let it be sober. And tarry one for another and wait. And then everyone come together. Oh my goodness. It's just complicated. In the Christian. It's complicating Christ. Can't we just believe Jesus and everybody just love Jesus and just show me that shadow of the cross and just lay in the shadow of the cross? Paul, you're making it too complicated. I've got to examine myself and I got to do this and I got to do that. This is Paul. I can just hear some people in there. Condos, just ripping pages out of the Bible right now. Oh, I knew I didn't like this guy. (laughs) You might think that uh, Paul was just embellishing what John had to say in John 13. Paul wrote his letter in 50 AD, John didn't write John 13 till 90 AD. And Paul saying, "I got this from this. I received from the Lord. He's told me how you should do communion." Praise Jesus. He preaches marriage and divorce in 1 Corinthians chapter seven, verse ten. And unto the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord. Let not the wife depart from her husband. When he does so, he doesn't say this is what Jesus says. He does not say this is what the disciple says. He does not say this is what the Old Testament says. He says God told me to tell you. Amen. I command, yet not I, but the Lord commands you because the Lord met me and told me to tell you this is what you should do. Does not quote Jesus. Does not quote the disciples. Does not quote the Old Testament. Everybody comfortable? Paul gave his testimony a few times in the book of Acts. Every time he gave it, he changed it. It was never the same. Acts chapter 9, a light from heaven, men heard a voice, but saw no man. That's Acts chapter 9. In Acts chapter 22, men saw the light, but did not hear the voice. In Acts chapter 26, now he's really got the story figured out. Adds so many more details, and now he even adds the prophecy concerning a commission from Jesus Christ himself for the gospel. Now, I don't have time to do it, but you can just go read that in your Bible. I'm not making this up. In Acts chapter 9, he tells the story one way. In Acts chapter 22, he tells it in an opposite way. In Acts chapter 26, now there's a lot more details and he adds prophecies. And now the story's like, wow, that's way different than Acts chapter 9. Is that the sound of, is that the sound of pages ripping out of the Bible? The appalling Christian denominations is going to have many more members from all those streaming. We knew it. Think about Paul, his method of operation, what he would do. He would go into an area and he would unashamedly preach Jesus Christ. Boldness, preaching Jesus Christ in contradiction to the established thoughts and religions. And what he would do is he'd preach Jesus Christ so boldly that he would stir up hatred and bitterness and everyone would pick up their arms to kill Paul. And what he would do is he'd sneak out of town just in time to escape with his life and leave the followers behind to be punished. (laughs) Every time Paul did it, go preach, everybody get mad. Kill him, kill him, kill these Christians. And the Christians are like, We'll die for the gospel. And Paul's like, <laughs> Paul always escapes with his life, and the believers get beaten up. They get stoned. They're the ones dying. They were suffering. What happened? Uh, Paul came in town, he preached, we had a great revival. Next thing we know, we're all getting beaten, we're dying. We're so happy to die for the cause of Christ. Like, where'd Paul go? Where'd he go? He left in a basket. He ran down the road. He got away with it. That's the kind of guy you want to follow. Yeah, we're having a brother so and so in for some meetings. You better get ready for the beating. You get stoned and gonna lose your property, and he's gonna make it out just in time. You think it was a conspiracy? Paul meets up with him beforehand. Now, this is what I'm gonna do: I'm to preach these things, get him all. Sp- riled up and conspiracy theorists you know how they are and uh, so I'm going to get these things going that's going to identify who the Christians are and then as soon as we know who they are you pretend like you're going to kill me and I'm going to run away and then we got them so Paul was just a spy he never stopped hunting Christians this was just his way of getting them out in the open as a lawyer I could make a strong argument that that's the case i telling you. He was a murderer, a troublemaker, a boaster. It doesn't seem humble to me if you read it just uh, with an unbiased view. He constantly points to himself and his ministry. This is him, the prisoner that he says you should not be ashamed of. There's great cause to be ashamed if someone just put the wrong spin on it. Yeah. Romans chapter 2 verse 16, "...in the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ." We believe that. But he says, according to my gospel." Second Corinthians chapter 11 verses 4 and 5 For he that cometh preacheth another Jesus Whom we have not preached yeah. So if they're not preaching what I Paul preached Or if you receive another spirit which you have not received Or another gospel which you have not accepted You might well bear with them
1: right.
0: For I suppose I was not a whit behind the chi- very chiefest apostles Amen could any of us get away with saying that to anybody? I mean, as ministers, we're in a ministered. I mean, hey, I'm not a wit behind anybody. Yeah, that's that's my status on Instagram. Not a wit behind Brother Bisco. Uh, could you imagine anybody saying that? But Paul, he, he just said that I, I was not a wit behind the very chiefest apostles, and he was right. I guess if you if you got it, you can brag about it a bit. He's saying that. If you're preaching Jesus that I haven't preached, he's worried about that. He says, I'm not a whit behind the very chiefest of the apostles. Is he alluding that perhaps maybe one of the apostles might preach a Jesus that he hasn't preached? And you better make sure what they preach lines up with what I'm preaching because I have the message for this day. I'm the one that's breaking the revelation. I'm the one the Lord met in a vision and by a pillar of fire and his commission to bring a message to the Gentiles and they better line up and get behind me. That's exactly what Paul is saying. In Galatians chapter 2, he actually rebukes Peter for being the reason that people are walking disorderly. I imagine your Bible actually has a heading. I don't know what it is in the King James, but it says, Paul rebukes Peter. Paul's charge against Peter. Paul stands down Peter. Paul puts Peter in his place. Come up with a new tongue twister. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 6, he talks about how he met with the disciples. Went to Jerusalem and met up with them. He said he met them once, came back 14 years later to meet with the disciples. You know what he said? They didn't add nothing to my understanding. Amen. I went to a minister's meeting where everybody who was with Jesus shared things and taught things and had sessions. And with everything they shared, added nothing to my revelation. Amen. I might start needing a little bit more oh. <laughs> Amen. If you can give it. Because if, if I'm going the wrong direction here, you guys just can get real, real quiet and I'll finish.
1: Yeah.
0: And we'll talk about it later. <laughs> Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 to 9. He says it this way I marvel that ye are so soon removed from Him that called you into the grace of Christ and to another gospel. I wonder who the hymn was. Yeah. Which is not another. No, there's not another gospel of Christ. Yeah. But there'd be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. There's some that trouble you and try to pervert you from what I'm teaching. Yeah. And from the revelation I brought to you as the Lord himself gave it to me. Yeah. And they're troubling you by using stats and statistics and other scriptures and other thoughts and other ideas. But I don't want you to be moved from this. Yeah. He says, but though we, or an angel from heaven. An angel from heaven. Preach any other gospel unto you than that which we, the royal we, the majestic superlative, we could say that I, Paul, have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Oh. You, you can't say that, Paul. <laughs> Blessed are the meek, they shall inherit the earth. <laughs> but he says it. He says if an angel came down from heaven and preached something different than what I preached to you, he's accursed. Amen. Yeah. As we said before, so say I now again. If any man preach any other gospel to you than that you have received, let him be accursed. You stay with this gospel. You stay with what I taught you. You stay with what God showed me to tell you. And don't you leave it for anything. And I don't care who comes and preaches. If it's contrary to the message, I'm preaching to you. Let him be accursed. I'm quoting Paul. And I wish I could spend more time in this this vein, because to me it's just astounding. But Paul alone brought the full doctrine of the rapture. Paul alone is what brought and established that there would be a return of the Son of Man. Because many believe that the Lord Jesus Christ Himself returned according to His promise on the day of Pentecost. Brother Bisco probably knows some even in this message that preached this message that believed the second coming was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. And but it was Paul's ministry that established the church's hope and expectation of a returning Christ to take his bride away. If you take Paul's the scripture, we're still left to a debate of resurrection and rapture and what happens. But Paul himself is the one that taught us that the Lord himself shall descend with a shout, voice, and a trump, and that there'll be those that are alive and remain that will be changed, and that the sleeping will be caught up together with them and will go to meet our Lord in the air. You take that out, you have no rapture. Amen. He says, Behold, I show you a mystery. Why was it a mystery? Because Paul's the only one saying this. We shall not all sleep. Now, Paul, could you show me in the red letter uh, where Jesus said that? The problem is John hadn't written it yet where you could. Maybe he would have said, "Um, did you get my tape on that? And he hadn't preached it yet. And could you imagine somebody in that day? Coming along, somebody like me, a little short guy, coming leaving from a short ministers convention, and bumps into one of these big guys, one of these big preachers. Hey, did you know the Lord Himself's going to descend with a shout? Well, that, that sounds fine, short man. But uh, where'd you get that? Well, um. Uh, I just, that's what I believe that the Lord's going to descend and we're going to be people that are alive and this body's going to be changed and it's going to be an eternal body and the people that have gone before us they're going to resurrect and he said well that sounds real good short man but where'd you get that?
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: but what would I have to say? brother tall man <laughs> Paul said the Lord himself shall descend with a shout and what would the tall preacher say? I believe that. Amen. Paul, because he's been established by God to be a prophet. And you would have to quote Paul to teach a resurrection and to teach a rapture. You couldn't try to just kind of bypass his authority and teach on these things. I believe we've had the last short man's convention in the minister study over there. Brother Tom, don't let Brother Tim say anything behind this pulpit, at least for the next two services. Not closing prayer. Introduce me tonight. Just please let me have the final word on this. You are going out of town soon, right? Go flight. Jesus says in one place, he references that we can clearly see that he's talking about a future church. He says, upon this rock I'll build my church. Do you know it's that one phrase that Paul amplifies his entire ministry? Oh, One phrase, upon this rock, I'll build my church. And Paul just goes right into there and says, there's the mystery. And he takes it and every gospel he writes is the revelation of that mystery that God was going to build a church. Paul caught a mystery that nobody else saw. Nobody else was preaching it. He alone caught the full revelation of a Gentile bride. Not that the Gentiles would be fellow heirs and they have to come in to Jewry in order to become a Christian, but that this was God's chosen people as far as his body and his voice as far as a, a bride. If you compare the teachings of Christ to the teachings of Paul, they seem strange. What he taught was odd and different. As I mentioned before to some, they considered antichrist. He said of himself that he had a thorn in the flesh, lest he be exalted above measure because of the abundance of revelation. I know that there's some that take it different ways, but he even speaks about perhaps the way he's telling the story about himself being caught into a third heaven, looking beyond the curtain of time.
1: Right. Amen.
0: I hope this statement I read to you now means more to you than it's ever been before. But Brother Brandon, when he told the story going beyond the curtain of time... In 1961, he says, And in that vision the Lord gave me some time ago, when that one speaking to me said, You'll be judged first by the gospel you preach. He said, I preach the same thing Paul did. And millions of those voices screamed out, We are resting on that. I preached the same gospel he did, he said. Just exactly the way he said it, that's the way I said it. And I'm telling you, it is overwhelming. If you take the ministry of Paul and compare it to the ministry of Brother Branham, he preached the same gospel Paul preached. With the same boldness, the same authority, with the same controversies, with the same past, with the same criticisms, with the same reasons for people to walk away. But it was the same gospel that Paul preached. And that's the gospel I'm unashamed of. Because we know that Paul's revelation then was prophecy for today. That the mystery of Christ that Paul started is the mystery of Christ that this message finishes. And if I could just share something to try to do so quickly, one of the most controversial elements of Brother Branham's ministry—if I could—if I could say it this way, this is just me personally—the most controversial element of his ministry, the revelation of the Son of Man. And one of the most prominent scriptures in Brother Branham's ministry, Luke seventeen thirty. And it was the sign of the Son of Man that attracted many. But it was the revelation of the Son of Man that turned them away. There's a difference between the two. He gave the sign of the Son of Man even, even early on in His ministry. He's even demonstrated it before He even began to associate it with Luke 17.30. And then He recognized this as a sign. And then once it came to the revelation of the Son of Man, that's when people turned away. Scripturally, the revealing of the Son of Man is the coming of the Son of Man. I want to read to you some of the things that Brother Branham says in his ministry that to me are the message of the hour that are just as controversial and what the world might think is crazy as the really the things Paul was preaching in his day. Brother Branham said in souls in prison, he says the seventh seal brings him back to earth. The lamb come and took the book out of the right hand of him and sat down and claimed what he owned and what he had redeemed. That's right. It's always been that third pull. Well what is the third pull? It was part of Brother Branham's ministry. And he's associating this lamb coming and taking the book and the opening of these seals to his ministry. What was it that caused those disciples to walk away from him in John 6? Unless you eat this flesh of the Son of Man, drink the blood of the Son of Man. He says, oh, that offends you? Just wait till you see the Son of Man ascending up from whence he came. It's the Son of Man that drives them crazy. And does God ever change his mind? As it was in the days of Noah, he's quoting Luke seventeen thirty. He says, "See his coming." So will it be in the days when the Son of Man is being revealed? Now he never said the Son of God being revealed, the Son of Man. And he says later, he says he's to return back into his church in physical form, in the people, in human beings, in the same way of being a prophet. Brother Ram displayed the, display, the messianic sign before 1963. That it was a sign, not the full revelation. But now as he begins to break the full revelation to the church, he's saying, this revelation of the Son of Man, that is his coming. He's to return back into his church. In a physical form. In human beings. In the same way that they didn't understand his expression and his purpose in his first coming. We had a message come and unfold to us. His expression and his purpose in this day. Amen. Improving his word, he says, but in between this conjunction, he's talking about the church ages and, and the millennium, according to his own words, in the day when the Son of Man shall be revealed. Right. Reveal himself as what? Not Son of God. Right. Which he said, the Son of God was the Holy Ghost revealing Christ through the church ages. It's always been Jesus Christ. It's always been the same. But he says, now it's Son of Man. He says, will reveal himself in a different way. Yes, yes. See, the Son of Man would reveal Himself, not in a whole big denomination of things, as we've had through the ages, but He would manifest Himself as Son of Man again. Yes. This is an odd language to be using at this time. It's become common to us. But in that day, this is very different. Brother Branham often told the story of how that he was baptizing people on the Ohio River when a light appeared. And gave him his commission. I don't know how many times he told it. I don't know how much it changed every time he told it. But I see the pattern of Paul and sometimes details just get a little bit different when prophets tell stories.
1: Right, that's
0: right. I don't know why God does it that way. But I'm glad to see a pattern. Yeah. And the voice said, as John the Baptist was sent to forerun the first coming of Christ, your message shall forerun his second coming into all the world. That's right. A prophecy is fulfilled. In order for this prophecy to be fulfilled, Brother Bram's message would have to come and his second coming would have to come. He says, In this day, the scripture is fulfilled. His voice said, John the Baptist was sent to forerun the first coming of Christ. Your message shall forerun his second coming into all the world. This day, this scripture is fulfilled. Does that offend you? He preaches the trial in Tampa. And you understand the format of the trial of sermons when he preaches them. He says there's Mr. Impatient, Mr. Skeptic, and Mr. Unbeliever. And that each one has a claim against God because he made a promise and he never fulfilled it. One didn't wait long enough. One was skeptical when he did it. One just didn't believe it at all. And the, each one, this prosecuting attorney, this Antichrist spirit, the devil, calls these witnesses to give this testimony. But then the defense attorney comes and he begins to call witnesses. He calls Abraham and how long he waited. He calls Noah, and you can hear how the, he begins to talk. And he says, with such feeling, he says, They haunted me day and night. And you feel as if these men's spirits are testifying of what it means to believe a promise and wait a long time for it to be fulfilled. And they say, Abraham says, I got my son. Noah says, That rain came, and I was on that ark. And each one testifies of the promise and it being a finished promise, a fulfilled promise. There couldn't be, they couldn't be impeached as witnesses. A- Abraham couldn't say, well, God promised me a son and-, and I've been waiting now for a really, really long time and that son's going to come one day. He could be impeached. So what you're saying is God made a promise and he still hasn't fulfilled it. Yes, but, but, but I... I but no further questions. And the jury's going, to, hmm. So that's exactly what Mr. Impatient said. And each one of them to give the testimony. Brother Bradham's preaching. He says, uh, I, can, I, can I be a witness? Hallelujah. Yeah. And you want to know the promise he wants to witness to? This promise. Amen. As your ministry forerun, or as John the Baptist forerun the first coming, so shall your ministry forerun the second coming. Yes. And that, that's his promise. So Brother Branham's going to be impeached, and he's not going to be a proper witness if he says, and one day I sure believe that, that God will do this for us if he'll allow us to. And we're still waiting and we're still looking. And so Brother Branham says, but you know, let me tell you, Mr. Prosecutor, you're looking for him to come with nail scars and Thor prints. You're looking for Him to come in a denominational way. You've got your traditions all figured out. You've got the way that you think the Lord's going to return. But it doesn't give such a promise. Amen. He says that He'll be revealed as the Son of Man. Not thorn prints, not nail scars. Right. And He starts emphasizing this. He's been revealing Himself as the Holy Ghost to the church ages. Christ in His church in the form of the Son of God in His church. But He promised in the last days that He would come again to His church. Yes. When he comes the second time, he comes to take his bride. Have a union with his bride. He said, he promised he'd come. And he said that my ministry would forerun his second coming. And he says this. He stands there and he's up there. And he says he promised to reveal himself as the Son of Man. And he hasn't left the witness stand. He hasn't had a person fill out prayer cards. He hasn't called a line. They're not playing only belief. He looks on the eyes and says there's a man sitting right here. There's a person sitting over here. They call you Daisy. Probably used a nickname nobody else knew. They call you Daisy. Only my mom and dad call me Daisy. And he starts telling people their names. He says, what is it? The fulfilling of the word of God in the last days. He says, prosecutor, I want you to know this is the truth. He says, God told me that 33 years ago. I've waited all this time. But it's fulfilled right here this afternoon. God keeps his word. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. I'm unashamed to say that I believe the Lord Jesus Christ himself has returned in this day here. Brother Branham's ministry became unacceptable to the non-elect because of the Son of Man. In Isaiah 53, it described him in his first coming because the true uh, fulfillment of the prophecy of the Messiah is crude according to carnal expectation. No form, no comeliness, no beauty. We turned our face, as it were. Oh, that's the expression Ugh. Oh. Wouldn't even look at him. despised and rejected, and it has been despised and rejected in the promised return of the Son of Man. So he says, going back to what we had mentioned in our text, John sends to his disciples, saying, "Well, is this is this it, or is there another?" Why would John ask that? Jesus gives, tells us a little bit of insight. He says, This is what's happening. Tell him what's being done. Tell him what you see. He says, Blessed are he who's not offended in me. Blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. Why? Because John was struggling with the expression. It wasn't maybe happening the way that he thought it would happen. it wasn't quite working out the way that he thought. Even when he uttered those words, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Maybe in his mind he didn't fully understand and could comprehend what it really represented, what it would mean. And many times the word doesn't express itself the way that we expect it to. And he was wrestling with that and Jesus says, Blessed he who is not offended and how I make myself known. Blessed are he who is unashamed when the word is brought to pass. Brother Branham taught us, he says, as it was in the days of Sodom, God is his own interpreter, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. The Spirit of God would come upon the earth in the form of human beings. God manifested in human flesh. It wasn't just revealed in Brother Branham, it's revealed in you. If I was to show anybody the revelation of the Son of Man today, here, I'd just bring Him right here. Because He said, and seed is not air with the shuck, but when you come to say, I and my Father are one in these other things, then the shuck pulls away from it. But the real, genuine bride church will bring forth the entire Word of God in its fullness and its strength. Who's going to do it? The bride does it. There's so many more things I could say, but we cannot try to clean up this message and try to make it without offense. Its reproach is its glory. It's the hardest parts of this message that make it its most beautiful. The real beauty of the ministry of Jesus Christ is when He hung there on that cross. But yet it would be to some His greatest shame, His lowest moment, and the biggest indictment of everything He claimed to be. In Jesus' day, where do you draw on the line? When He braided the whip and turned over tables? Acted outside of what He even taught on the Sermon of the Mount? Would have it been when you heard the rumors of His birth? When He said, eat my flesh and drink my blood. There's a lot of people that want the power and glory of Christ without the reproach or shame of it. That's what we found in John chapter 6. They were happy as long as there was free food.
1: Right.
0: Yeah. Free from reproach. Free from shame. Hey, this guy brings bread out of any. I mean, this guy... And what did they do? They came looking for more food. Right. They came looking for more signs. They came looking for more wonders. They came looking for something that... Um, who would be ashamed to follow a man that raised the dead? Who would be ashamed to follow a man that if you were ever with him? All you needed was a fish and a loaf of bread and everybody could eat free. That, those are things you're not ashamed of. Because even if they're different, people, ah, that just seems different. Hey, it happened. I saw it. But when that very same man stands there And instead of taking bread and multiplying it Instead of providing you fish Now he stands there And you're all anxious to see a sign You're anxious to see another wonder Because that's something you can get behind There's no shame when there's power There's no shame when there's, uh, really where there's, where there's great manifestations But when it comes to now The voice of the sign begins to speak He says, unless you eat my flesh And drink the blood of the Son of Man You'll have no part with him And are like, oh, Okay All right, maybe I can just look past that as long as he starts breaking bread here soon. He said, Oh, that aggravates you. That makes you mad. And you know what? He never gives them the bread they were looking for. But he gave them the bread they needed. And they one by one begin to walk away. Walk away. And then he says, Well, he turns to the 12. He says, Will you go? Peter said, Where where are we going to go? You alone have the words of eternal life. It's this word that I'm feeding on. It's the unfailing body word of the Son of Man that's caught my attention. How could I? I I, I, I know it's difficult. I know it's hard. But this is my life. And Paul even counseled us. He says, talking about the ugly parts of the body. He says, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. Now, do you understand what Paul meant when he said, be unashamed of the testimony of our Lord? And we often say, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am not ashamed of Jesus Christ. I am not ashamed of the Word of God. But then he says, nor of me, His prisoner. We're to not be ashamed of Jesus Christ, but don't be ashamed of His prophet.
1: Amen.
0: I believe this message. Therefore, I'm identified with, it, with its messenger. And I am unashamed. Paul wrote Timothy there a few verses later. He says, This thou knowest that all they, 2 Timothy chapter 1 verses 15 and 16, All they which are in Asia be turned away from me. Now, if we just use the social... Uh, parameters we use today. That's it. Everyone, uh, there's, the, there's the indictment of his ministry. Right. Everyone in Asia, by his own words, all they which are in Asia be turned away from me. Of whom are Philegius and Hermogenes. The Lord give mercy to the house of Onesiphorus for he hath refreshed me and was not ashamed Hallelujah. of my chain. Right. Amen. Right. Onesiphorus was not unashamed of that time Paul shook the serpent off into the fire That time that Paul uh, Was escaped with his life here Where Paul did this and Paul did that It wasn't those things He wasn't ashamed of the chain The thing that indicted him The thing that held him down The thing the world put on him He's like I won't even be ashamed of that you think about it there's Paul imprisoned in a cold dungeon behind bars or chained up and locked up like a common criminal he's facing a cruel and shameful death just imagine him we read read about Paul's ministry but look at how it ends everyone in Asia has left me he's chained up he's facing death his health is failing him you can find he writes somewhere. Brother Branham talks about it. it says, he had the, the coat I left. Would you bring it to me? Couldn't afford another one? I could just imagine. In Asia, it began to, the rumors begin to spread. You hear about your prophet?
1: Right.
0: Yeah. He's been imprisoned in Rome. He's facing death. After all his preaching... After all his believing, after all his exalting, after everyone's support, after everyone rallied around him, this is his end. True. And he writes, for Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world and is departed into Thessalonica, Cretans to Galatians, Titus and to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. We invite the musicians to come. And he says he's not ashamed of my chain. Could we say that about this message? Amen. I'm unashamed Amen. of even the chain. Amen. Brother Random tells a story in The Great and Mighty Conqueror. I think it's fitting. He says, one time not long ago there was a girl who went off to college and she was a lovely little girl. And he says that she's coming home and he makes reference to the fact that she was coming home with a lot of her college ideas with her and he says maybe you've got a lot of church ideas in your head and he says well get rid of them it's the best thing I know so this train stopped out front and this girl she had brought a little girl with her and he says one of those little snickle fritz kind you know like the Elvis Presley type so it was in the presence of this other person that she's coming back home and he says her mother was on the outside of the train as the train pulls in an old woman standing there all scarred up in her face, stooped shoulders, little calico dress on, a little shawl over shoulders. And this little Snickle Fritz that was with her, this other girl looked down and said, well, who is that miserable, ugly looking old wretch? He says, well, you know, it embarrassed the girl so much. She said, I don't know, because she was just so prissy and had so many worldly ideas in her head. And it was her own mother. Right. When she got off the train, the little old mother run to throw her arms around her. She said, oh, darling, God bless you, your little sweetheart. She turned her back and started walking away as if she didn't know her. She was embarrassed because her mother was so ugly. It happened to be the conductor on that train knew the story. And he walked around there and he put his hands on the little girl's shoulder, turned her around before the audience and he said, shame on you, shame on you. I've seen the time that your mother was ten times as pretty as you are. I lived in the neighborhood. You were a little baby and you're upstairs in your crib and your mother was hanging clothes in the backyard and all of a sudden the furnace caught fire and the entire house was in a blaze. And when your little mother run along and knew you were in the upstairs there, They screamed and tried to grab her, but she jerked and what she had off, and she ran through those blazes up on the stairs and pulled her clothes from her body and wrapped you in it. And there come back through the blazes, packing you, and fainted in the yard with you in her arms. She took what what would have protected her and protected you. This is the testimony of my life. The reason you're pretty today that's the reason she's ugly and you mean to tell me you'd be ashamed of those scars of your mother what I have today I have by the grace of God and it's because God gave a dispensation of grace to a messenger and well the reason why this church is pretty the reason why we have what we have today is because someone suffered for it and the ugliness and the pain and the suffering And all the horrific parts and all the uneasy parts and all the difficult parts are there to make us beautiful. That's the reason you're pretty today. The reason she's ugly and you mean to tell me you'd be ashamed of those scars of your mother? He says, I think today if Jesus bare the cross alone and all the world go free, there's a cross for everyone and there's a cross for me. If Jesus was considered Beelzebub by the world, and He was laughed and scoffed at and hung on a cross and made a shame for me, I'm more than happy to bear the reproach of His holiness. Call me a holy warrior, whatever you want, whatever remark you want to make, that doesn't stop it a bit. I'm only happy this morning that in my heart, the resurrected Christ lives and reigns. I'm one of His subjects, and I trust that you are too. I'm unashamed. If you could just bow your heads if musicians want to play something... Thank you. Could you ponder for a moment? The beauty of our lives. And the price that was paid. And what a cross represents. As Paul said, don't be ashamed of me and my chain. There's a chain that comes with the things we believe, that the world puts on us. But I'm unashamed, and I I just want to give you a chance, I know perhaps what the response would be, but if you just want to stand and say, Lord, I'm unashamed of this gospel. I'm unashamed of this message. I'm not ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, and I'm not ashamed of His messenger. And I realized that the reason why it looked so ugly at times was so that I could be pretty, so that I could be free, so that I could be delivered, so that I could one day be changed. We have such a beautiful promise in this message, you young people. It's becoming a day and age, it's so difficult, so difficult to maintain a, a boldness for this word. Becoming so difficult to be identified with the principles of this message without you being cast as racist and misogynistic or uh, neurotic or extreme. But would you be willing to bear those chains? We pulled up into a station today and there was this messenger. No beauty... that we desire them, a resume full of holes and complications and problems and a problematic message and somebody said, oh, look at that awful thing would we say that's, that's, my, that's my brother could we do that with one another that's my sister could we do that about the truth of this message say I'm unashamed of it Us. I just want you to ponder these things. And so I'll change the old Let's just do it worshipfully now. Lift our hands to Him. Till my soul
2: is at last I lay down. And I will clean to the old.
0: Thank you for your grace. It's been evident in our lives. The Lord, I thank you for such a beautiful message that you sent to us at this hour. And I thank you, Lord, for a beautiful prophet. There may not be much beauty in the eyes of the world, but even when I see its chains and its uncomeliness and its difficult parts, I see that it was meant to make me beautiful. Lord, I thank you that you sent us a message in this day that not only preached the same gospel that Paul preached, but brought it to its climax. And that you see fit to be living in us today to bring us to the very pinnacle and the very change of our bodies. Lord, I pray that as there's so much that could have been said this morning that you could deal with the hearts appropriately in their own individual way. That in other, any way that we've been flinching and shrieking back, any way we've been letting the world make us ashamed of something in this message, may we have a resolve in our hearts to say, I believe this Word of God and I am unashamed. I will not spend my time making excuses and trying to figure this out and cut this way and cut that away. But Lord, I see what you did in Paul. I see what you did in Brother Branham. And I'm standing here a firm believer today. Say, I'm unashamed of this message. And I'm unashamed of its messenger. And I'm unashamed of what you've made me.
1: Hallelujah.
0: Hallelujah! And I'm glad to bear this reproach. I'm glad to bear whatever shame comes with it. For I know, Lord, that you paid a great price and that you're you're one that rewards those who are willing to endure. We commit ourselves to you now, Lord, thanking you for your grace that's been with us today. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Pray for me. We'll just pick up on the same thought this evening. Sing that chorus again. So I'll cherish thee.
2: Sing that first verse one more time. So on a hill far away stood an old rugged cross. It's the end. And he has ministered the word of life. And there were those that ran from the cross and were ashamed. And there was others that clung to that older cross. And maybe young people, it doesn't matter, it be an old person in life. Maybe you have been ashamed of this word or this Jesus, this Christ. And it was so wonderfully balanced so that you are able to, without saying, see the parallel of what Paul was and what this message is and you're willing to say this morning and not ashamed and you just want to step out of your seat and say I want to be identified with the Lord Jesus Christ this morning and I'll bear the reproach I'll gladly bear it where I have not borne it before and I'm willing to step out and say the Holy Spirit has ministered to me and I'm willing to be identified with this lovely Lord Jesus Christ. And you want to come to the front and we're going to have a word of prayer over you and pray that God just give you the boldness to identify with the glorious message that God has sent today. And you want to stand here and say "Ah, I've been maybe a little ashamed but I don't want that to be a part of my testimony. I want to be And declare the gospel in its purity and its holiness. And I want to consecrate myself. I want to dedicate myself. Not just before the people here. But before the presence of God and His holy angels. For if you'll be ashamed of Him here, He'll be ashamed of you there. And if you want to make your way to the front and say, I want to stand more fervent. I want to declare this gospel. I want to identify myself, not with just the the beautiful parts, but the uncomely parts. And you've been a little ashamed at college and university to proclaim this glorious message that can so change a life, this Jesus. And you just want to come on down. You come on down. You say, well, what's it's worth? It's worth everything. It's worth everything. God bless you as you make your way. That's fine. Amen. Amen. God really is doing a, a deep, deep work in your heart. As that word was ministered in its purity. And it struck a chord within your own life. It said, "I have been a little ashamed, but now I'm going to stand." So the verse goes on to say, "Oh, in that old rugged cross, it's so despised by the world." Oh, it's a wonder, uh, attraction to me, saints. Mm. Amen. God bless you. Be your testimony then. To the old. Let's be true. Mm-hmm. It's shame. Rep- Is that your testimony this morning?